White Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Good afternoon and welcome into White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight and we have a special episode prepared for you. We've been talking about it for a couple of weeks. Very excited to get this series going here on the offseason Got a couple of pieces of news and notes before we dig into the interviews. But here's what we're up to today. We're putting our season review and preview position by position on the 17 and 18 White Sox on hold for a week. We'll get back to the shortstop position next week. A lot of talk about Tim Anderson then. But for now, we've got our first oral history episode of the offseason. Today, we'll focus on 2005. Not the World Series run necessarily. Though I'm sure there will be a little bit of talk about that. We'll talk more about Orlando Hernandez and his absolutely brilliant work getting out of a bases-loaded jam with no one out against the Boston Red Sox in Game 3 of the ALDS. Before we get to that, a couple pieces of housekeeping. Hey, sports fans, the Bulls-Sox Youth Academy, the official youth training facility of the Chicago Bulls and White Sox, Runs year-round basketball, baseball, and fast-pitch softball sports programming for boys and girls ages 5 to 18. The academy offers private lessons, camps, travel teams, birthday parties, field trips, and much more. Call 630-PLAYBALL or visit BullsSoxAcademy.com for more information. A few pieces of notes. The AFL All-Star Game has selected Jace Fry, White Sox reliever, to their rosters. Congratulations to Jace. Uh, in an upcoming show in just a few weeks. Actually, we'll have a couple interviews from players at the Arizona Fall League, guys like Jace Fry, Sebi Zavala, see if we can track down Charlie Tilson and see how he's feeling as well. Looking forward to getting those interviews to you in just a little bit, but congratulations to Jace Fry. Cleaning up, speaking of the Arizona Fall League, we mentioned last week that the White Sox had made a move or two on that Fall League roster. Tito Polo is off the roster. That's because of a dental issue. And Dylan Covey's going through a, a dead arm phase, more or less. And the White Sox felt it didn't make much sense to have him keep throwing if the results were just going to be kind of these null and void, grin and Barrett kind of days. So Dylan Covey, that's why he was taken off the Arizona Fall League roster uh, just about a week and a half ago, too. So we thought you should have those couple of pieces of news. Also, Buddy Bell, longtime assistant GM of the White Sox, former Major League manager and a guy obviously as close to the White Sox organization or as much a part of the White Sox organization over the last few years as any, has left. He's headed to Cincinnati for a new gig there, somewhat similar to what he's been doing, but a little bit more on the advisor role. But he had run the, the minor league system for a while, player development guy, uh, and had been in there for uh, a few years and, and was a big reason, was a big part of the decision to bring Chris Getz, the new director of player development, into the White Sox organization. Uh, Bell, in a couple of interviews on his way out of the White Sox and into Cincinnati, was effusive in his praise of Chris Getz in just about uh, well, almost a year now on the job, a little over a year, I suppose on the job for Getz. So he takes over, Chris does, full-time. And uh, congratulations to Buddy Bell on moving on, and thanks for the work here with the White Sox as well. We'll see what this farm system that Bell and Getz, and obviously the rest of the members of the front office have put together that's so highly rated, ends up churning out over the next couple of years. Looking forward to it. 
White Sox fans, you can sign up for SoxFest 2018 right now, and you'll receive a Hawk Harrelson talking bobblehead. The exclusive giveaway item is only available through SoxFest hotel packages. You can join us January 26th through January 28th for a weekend of White Sox baseball. You won't want to miss. Hotel packages are available now at whitesox.com slash SoxFest. So if I can, and since we're starting the oral history episode with one of my favorite White Sox moments in history, I, I think I'm allowed. Let me just remind you where the White Sox and Red Sox were at October 7 of 2005. The White Sox had won the first two in the series, 14-2 in Game 1, 5-4 in Game 2. And Game 7, a potential sweep of the defending World Series champions is right there in front of the White Sox. Game started, you know, innocently enough, moved through the first couple of innings without incident. The White Sox were the first on the board, two in the third. Red Sox came back with two in the fourth. And in the top of the sixth, the White Sox scored two to get to four runs. That's where we dive into the history here. It's the bottom of the sixth in Boston. Freddie Garcia gave up a home run to Manny Ramirez to start out the inning. Damaso Marte would come in to relieve Freddie, and Marte would give up a single to Trot Nixon, a walk to Bill Miller, and another walk to John Olerud. In comes Orlando Hernandez, and he's facing three tough hitters in that Red Sox lineup, Jason Veritek, Tony Graffinino, and Johnny Damon. What happened next is known by... What happened next is known by all baseball fans, and White Sox fans specifically, I think, have it etched in their memory. It has always stood out to me as one of the most impressive things I ever remember watching live. El Duque getting out of this inning and the White Sox holding the lead. So much so that I wanted to talk to the guys, some of the guys involved in that game and in the decision of bringing Orlando Hernandez into the organization. We'll start our oral history series with an interview with then-White Sox GM and current Vice President Kenny Williams when we come back after the break. Stay with us here on White Sox Weekly, WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. We're just about to get it going. Our first oral history series of the offseason, talking about El Duque getting out of a bases-loaded jam against the Boston Red Sox in 2005. But first... There is no better way to watch a White Sox game than in premium seating. The Chicago White Sox offer all-inclusive club areas, private suites, and the best locations and accommodations. We have the perfect option for two people or the whole office. For more information, call 312-674-6330 or visit WhiteSox.com. Now, before we start with our interview with Kenny Williams, let me take you back to the end of last season in the White Sox. We're just about to play the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, who are still holding on to wild card hopes. Nicky Delmonico would end up later in the evening hitting a two-run shot to send the Twins to the playoffs. They would then lose to the Yankees in the one-game playoff. But I had a chance to sit down with White Sox executive vice president and former general manager Kenny Williams and wanted to ask him a couple of questions about what it was to get Orlando Hernandez onto that 2005 team and memories he had, of course, of that series and Orlando's participation and really heroics in it. So, with a little bit of special effects, we take you back to that second-to-last home game of the 2017 season. Here's our sit-down with Kenny Williams. Opening day next season. It'll be a packed house. 
How many White Sox fans would get the correct answer to what do Tony Graffinino, Jason Veritek, and Johnny Damon all have in common? How many get it right? I think I'll need more time for that. <laughs> Orlando Hernandez is the common denominator to all. So that would be zero. zero. So take me back through the decision to get Orlando Hernandez onto the 05 team. What was the conversation like to bring him on? Where was the need? And, you know, in the past, the three-way trade that you guys were involved in just two years before is kind of an interesting one, too. I, I don't know. Did you guys have a chance to keep him? Was it always about angling for something bigger down the line? And how did the beginnings of El you know, brought When we brought him back, it was, it was two different scenarios. When we brought him back, it was we needed... And I made the statement, which I had to be reminded of before we set the playoff roster. Mm -hmm. I made the statement that I felt like we needed some experience once we got to the playoffs because I felt strongly that we had done enough and we had configured the team well enough to where that team was going to win a lot of games. But you needed people that that had been there and done that, so to speak. So when we... Uh, when I explained to the group why I was doing what I was doing, uh, you know, everyone understood. And it wasn't about April through September. It was about October. Uh, and somebody, obviously, that could help you get there. You know, nothing's, nothing's a given. Anyway, um, I had to be reminded of that by Coop. Once we were in, a, in one of our playoff meetings, or to, you know, set the roster, and he, he said that Brandon McCarthy had just pitched a whale of a game in Boston. And, you know, that was fresh in everyone's mind, certainly fresh in my mind. And, uh, you know, I was probably going to go with him uh, until Coop said, hey, uh, you made the statement to us that you brought El Duque in here to get the big outs, to pitch in the big games. We're about to have some big games. I said, you're right. You're right. And I changed my mind right there on the spot. And uh, we went with, obviously, El Duque, and uh, it turned out pretty well. Coop hasn't let me live it down since. I suppose, I suppose you make uh, a decision like that, and you get to wear it a little bit like a medal. What um, what was the conversation like when when the trade happened, when a three-way deal turned around? This is two years before. This is 03. If, if you can remember, I, I know you guys were, were angling for something later on. El Duque hurts his shoulder, a rotator cuff. He doesn't pitch in that next season for Montreal and then spends a little time coming back and trying to get himself together for the Yankees in 04 before you guys went out and get him. Do you remember what it was and what some of the conversations were like in that trade? Well, we needed some, some heart, some toughness. We knew that uh, he would be a positive influence on Contreras if we were able to, uh, uh, you know, get him and, and, and get him right anyway. So um, it was, you know, some acquisitions aren't just about uh, the, the player and what he brings on the field. You definitely need that, and you've got to have that, but... All things being equal, you want a positive force on the field and off the field. And sometimes, uh, you know, when it's close, you you you're gonna go with, or at least you know, we've you know tried to factor in what a guy means 
on the bus, on the plane, yeah. on the on the bench, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And he was he was, and it continues to be one of those one of those guys. Whenever he's around, there there's no shortage of energy or positive uh, reinforcement or encouragement. He always we were just at a golf tournament not long ago, and he he said, you know, Kenny William, do you need me to do anything? You need me to talk to anybody? Anybody need to get straight? <laughs> I said, give me a second. I'm sure there's there's someone around here. <laughs> so do you do you remember being in you know Boston for that? You know, it's a 4-2 lead for the White Sox. Home run gets hit to start. They load the bases on a couple of knocks and a walk. <laughs> do you remember thinking what you were thinking when the pitching change was made? Do you remember? Did you perhaps think? Yeah, I, as yeah, soon I do. As things I was, going that I was, I was asking myself why the hell wasn't he in the game already? <laughs> what, what the hell was going on? So there were going there were going to be some questions that needed to be answered after yeah, that yeah. game. <laughs> uh, and then it and, and then after the game is over, we're high fiving each other and you know talking about El Duque and how this thing went down. And Ozzy pulls me aside and says, "Hey, I got a story to tell you." <laughs> so what so what is it? He says, um, "You know, I didn't bring El Duque. I didn't want to bring El Duque in the bases loaded. Come on. He was but we kept calling down here asking him, "Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready?" And he wasn't ready until the bases were loaded. So I, he says, "I know you were sitting there. I know you." I know you were sitting there going, what the hell's going on? I said, you're right, I was. <laughs> but but that never should have happened because El Duque, you know, should have, it could have, he could have gotten 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 ready a little earlier. Sure. And then after the after the game, he comes up to us as we're sitting around and he goes, "Hey, don't be afraid not to, you know, bring me in with nobody on." <laughs> so there so the guys just got all over him for that. Can you I can't imagine a bigger spot coming out of the bullpen. I mean, I guess you could be later on in the playoffs or what it have you. It wasn't supposed to be such a big spot. And, and and yet it was. You know I mean? It's this piece of lore, right? I mean, that is, is. to my mind, that's the gutsiest relief appearance I've ever seen in my life. No question. No question. Now, I'm sure, you know, baseball's been around for a long time and everyone has their stories. Years, absolutely. But if I see another one that that rivals that, then then whomever does it has done a hell of a job. And you talk to him about his thought process and and the the balls to throw Johnny Damon a three two breaking ball and he says he says everybody wants to be the hero. Everyone wants to be the hero. So let him go out and jump out and try to be the hero and get it. I throw the curveball. <laughs> I said, that's why we got you. That's why you got him. That's why we got you. What kind of reputation does he have? Or do you remember him having, um, let's say, five years ago, something like that? You know, as he as he ends his career, you know, because I know some guys like Yohan Mankata, he's 22, he's from Cuba, but you know, he would have been like 10 when El Duque was ending. Do you remember guys having that kind of conversation about him well, Cashman, as he was kind of leaving the game? Cashman and I had a lot of conversations yeah. about him, you know, and, and we're close. Uh, and, you know, he, he feels the same way. You know, I do about him that that if you if you needed to win a ball game, you know, neither one of us are so sure that if you gave him the ball today, <laughs> that he couldn't go out there and give you some good solid innings. Is there is there something to be learned 
by today's game from a guy like that who, you know, granted that's a, a different part of his career a little bit. He was older when he came over, but, you know, wasn't throwing 95, 97 out of the bullpen, was, you know, working in a creative, different way. Creative. Sure. Uh, as you can get out there, varied his deliveries, uh, knew enough about hitting to capitalize off of what he thought a hitter was trying to do. Uh, loved the game, talked the game, just, you know, a great spirit, man. So, you know, th- these guys here, um, you know, I think we're seeing a lot of guys now. If you take a look at some of the pitchers that are out there that are varying their deliveries, mm-hmm. varying their step back, uh, you saw Quintana do it, yeah. you know, where he'd rock back twice sometimes, and then there are other times that he'd quick pitch you. That's right. Uh, so you're seeing guys do that to disrupt timing more and more. I think it's a great idea. I've, you know, always tried to talk to pitching coaches about doing those kind of things, but they're very skittish on, on you know, trying to mess up a guy's rhythm or, you know, if a guy gets hurt, then it's because you've tried to do something. Right. New. But I've tried to free our guys up throughout the entire system over the years to allow a guy to be creative, allow a guy to drop down if he needs to. Heck, if you're not, if it's not working with plan A, go to plan B. And plan B might be to rock back two or three times, turn your back on the guy, and, it, you know, compete, compete, do what you need to do. It, it really does seem, especially in an organization like the White Sox, where, you know, there are, there's a lot of consistency in some management spots and front office spots that organizations have kind of this institutional memory you know that kind of adapts and changes does does Orlando Hernandez does El Duque have a lesson learned by the White Sox in that in that memory that is kind of lived and breathed you guys talk do you think there are any lessons to be learned maybe from either his signing or from you know, the way he performed or even that one relief appearance against Boston okay, that right. goes down in the history I, you know, as as we sit here and we scan the field, yeah. the way that I approach the, the evaluation part of the job is I look at everyone as a, uh, a learning opportunity, uh, an evaluation kind of uh, the evolution of the evaluation is such that you've got to stay fresh you've got to you've got to learn from every one of your decisions otherwise i think you're you're staying stagnant and maybe in danger of being in danger of letting the game go by you a little bit you know one of the things that i've loved is having you know a lot of the the metrics that we have in the, in the game now and access to it so where i can say to um, a guy who's struggling. I can say to our staff, "Mm, my memory says that he was two, three inches a little higher on his release point. And uh, the analytic guys, and I can tell, you know, Coop, and I can tell, you know, know, whomever, and say, listen, I think this particular player, we need to look a little closer at him because he's struggling right now. We may be able to get him and raise him back to where he was, and he might be okay. Uh, And then have the analytic guys go punch it up and say, you know what, he's not two inches, Kenny, you're wrong. He's an inch and three quarters. Right. (laughs) You know, yeah, but, I mean, it's gotten to that level. It's gotten to that that level. So your your evaluations have a little more substance, I think, behind Mm -hmm. them. And conversely, 
something that you're not quite sure of, you know, someone can point out and make you think in a different way and make you make you take a diff- different maybe development path. So it's a, I think it's a, it's a, and I wish. I wish we had these tools, tools years ago, sure. uh, and the video capabilities, uh, because it's it's saved them having to watch a lot of old baseball games. I can fast forward through these jokers now and get to the part that I need. That's just our first conversation about the White Sox series against the Red Sox in 2005. We'll visit with Don Cooper, White Sox pitching coach. Guy who talked a lot with El Duque over the course of that year about his perspective on a pretty historic night. That's next, but first, MLB.com at bat is your number one mobile app for live White Sox baseball. Stay connected with a fully customizable experience. Get White Sox home screen icons and app features, as well as game day, live game video highlights, radio broadcasts, statcast news, and more. Download MLB.com at bat today. News is next. More White Sox Weekly when we come back on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. Sox fans, it's never too early to lock in a 2018 ticket package. Full and partial ticket plans are available Take advantage of great benefits like discounted pricing and flexible payment plans. For more information, call 312-674-1000 or visit WhiteSox.com. We'll pick it back up with our last interview about El Duque. The oral history series begins today, and we figured who better to talk to than Don Cooper, the pitching coach who saw him through the very beginning of the season all the way through the World Series. Of course, El Duque was an established veteran pitcher at this point, but... You'll hear it pretty clearly in the interview. Coop really enjoyed working with him and learned a little bit from him as well. So here it is, our interview about El Duque with White Sox pitching coach Don Cooper. We'll start with this. I spoke to Kenny Williams, who was the general manager of the ball club, obviously, at the time, and he made sure, Coop, to point out to me that when it came down to setting the roster for the playoff series, after the run in September that the White Sox had had, 12-2 and two in the last you know, two and a half, three weeks of September, that initially Orlando Hernandez was not going to be on the roster. And he made sure to let me know that you were the one who brought up the fact that El Duque was brought in for big moments. And I wonder what that meeting was like and what you remember about bringing that up. Well, here, here, Ozzy remembers it differently than me, but what do I know? I was only sitting in the meeting. <laughs> Uh, I was in the room. I remember who was in the room. It was me, Ozzy, Jerry, and uh, Kenny. Right. And it was it was Ozzy's office. And Ozzy really didn't say much at all. I think the discussion was kind of more, he was more listening. The discussion was a little bit more with me and Kenny and Jerry. I, they didn't, they wanted Brandon McCarthy on the, on the roster. Mm-hmm. And I can remember when we, we acquired El Duque, and it was probably in, in, in January prior to 05, somewhere like that. And Kenny called me up. I remember where I was. I was in my old house downstairs in the in the, in the room, and we were talking about it. And I was excited about it because it was El Duque, another good piece to have. He's going to be one of our starters, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, and uh, Kenny said, we got him for the playoffs. You know, he got he, he got playoff. You know, so okay, great. You know, perfect. I, I, I'm with you. I got it totally. All right. Fast forward now to this meeting. 
Uh, Kenny didn't want him, and I don't think Jerry did either. I don't want to speak for Jerry. Mm-hmm. And Ozzy, Ozzy was kind of just there, uh, sitting there. Um, and we got into a discussion, and I remember we were going around and around with it, kind of. And my last comment was, Kenny, you told me when we picked this guy up, this guy was for the playoffs. I said, well, they start tomorrow. You know, and that's kind of how, how I, I, my last word, and then we went with him. Um, we went with it because of his success in the playoffs with the Yankees. This guy, you know, no moment gets the best of him. No, he, he, he's, he, no, no moment gets too big for him, you know. So this is a guy we want in, uh, you know, in any sort of playoff and playoff moment. And this one, uh, you know, obviously it was a, it was a big one for us. So in the last couple of weeks of the season into September, you guys started off by winning seven straight and then a 12-2 and two stretch to finish the month. You did win the last five. And obviously the strength coop of that 05 team, or a strength of it, it was strong all the way throughout, say you win a World Series, was the starting rotation. Mark Burley pitched real well in September. Freddie Garcia was good. John Garland was good. Jose Contreras was terrific. Brandon McCarthy comes on and has, his, in his first full big league month, a pretty good month. What I remember about Brandon, he's him pitching the, the, a makeup game where we had to fly into Boston for a day, play a game and get out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, every game was needed. We won 99 games, but every game was needed for crying out loud. And because uh, we didn't clinch till like three days left in the season. Right. Well, we didn't clinch the playoff spot. So uh, every game was important there. And uh, Brandon pitched a great game and gave us a real shot to win uh, against a tough uh, Boston club. And, you know, I think to backtrack everything, we're talking about Boston, you know, McCarthy pitching against Boston. But you got to remember, too, the whole scenario was Boston was the world champions. And and we play, you know, we you know we opened up in Chicago and won two games there, and then we had to go to uh, Boston. And again, they were the best team. They they were the champs. They have the belt. And we were up two nothing. And then you know, the whole game that we're about to talk about, kind of came ensued. So you're there in Fenway. Freddie Garcia starts the game and goes five. He gives up three. He walked four. Damaso Marte comes in. And then it's Orlando Hernandez with a whole lot of trouble. But I know that there's a story behind when and how El Duque got up and into that game. How well, do you remember well, it working? Ask, well, one thing I'll say is this. Everybody remembers the inning he came in with the bases loaded and got out of it. And uh, certainly probably the most important inning, at least in, in I'll say, 30, 30 years. I can speak for 30 years because that's how long I've been with the organization. Uh, probably the biggest inning in White Sox history um, without me doing research on that. Uh, and he got out of it. But people forget that not only did he do that, he pitched two more innings. Mm-hmm. You know, so he did a Herculean effort. You know, everybody remembers that moment, but they don't remember the, the two other innings he pitched to get to Bobby. Um and again, we were up two zip. We got to put the finishing touch on those guys. So he got us out of a bases loaded, nobody out jam in a four three game. Wow, you know. And and out after the game, and you could put this in anywhere. After the game, he immediately told me, uh, Cooper, uh, it's okay. Next time you bring me in with one guy on base, uh, it's okay. You even bring me in with two. No more three. No more three. And if if you really look at it, he pitched in the World Series. 
uh, against Houston. And he came in and pissed, and he created a bases loaded situation and got out of it. This one was created in other ways. He came in and got us out of it, but he got himself out of a bases loaded nobody out situation, I believe, in the World Series, if you look at that. He also told me, I don't have to throw strikes. You know, he came in, if you look at all the pitches, you know, there's, there's not many of them that are strikes. And he, he, said, he said that because they all want to be the hero. All the hitters want to be the hero. So that they were a little bit over-aggressive, and they were swinging. And he was bright enough, smart enough, experienced enough, uh, and he's our most experienced guy, uh, that he knew that. You know, some kids, that's the value of experience. That's the value of playing a while. That's the value of pitching in the playoff situations like that. No situation where he was able to think on his feet and uh, go out and make pitches. And uh, he did that. He gets Johnny Damon with a 3-2 curveball that, like you said, probably wasn't a strike. And, yeah, it seemed like Damon wanted to be the hero with two out and the bases loaded and looking to grab the lead back for Boston. Have you had pitchers? I mean, how long is the list of guys, whether they're starters or relievers, that you know could get it done because of their experience, because of their track record, that, that you trusted uh, the way? Listen, there's other guys. There's other guys. Sure. But there's no, nobody holds a higher degree in pitching than El Duque. He saw swings. He, he knew situations. Uh, he knew what he wanted to do. He had conviction. He had belief. He had confidence. And he certainly still had enough stuff to do do the job. Um, there's plenty of other guys that I knew could do that. But those were all experienced guys, all guys that have played. What was the celebration like afterward? Uh, Orlando tells you he wants to come in, maybe not so much with three men on anymore. What was the oh, well, what was the celebration was, like in the, the it post? Was, it was bedlam because we just beat the world champs. We're moving on now. We're going to play the Angels. And we're, and we're continuing our journey. You know, we were allowed to continue our journey, but, you know, we swept them. You know, we swept them. And we were we were on a roll. There was a, a vibe going on, and it really started after we clinched. After we clinched the division in Detroit, that it was a confidence. We came in believing for a long time in that season that we, no matter what happens, we're going to win this game. That's confidence. That's a team. That's you don't. If you ever get that as a coach and as a player with a team you're on, it's certainly a special moment because we were a good team and we knew it and we were confident. We weren't cocky and we went out there and, and got it done. Um, but after we clinched, it was like we almost saw death. We almost died. <laughs> you know, I mean, we almost got eliminated. We we were. The story became. Not how good we were and how many games we won, but how loud of a crash was it going to be when we failed? If we, mm. you know, because we were, we had a 15 game lead and it whittled down to basically nothing. Yeah. But once we clinched, it was like everybody could exhale and breathe, and and everybody's bunghole loosened up, and then there was no stopping us. Um, and it was a, it was a, a build up of time, momentum, wins together, uh, you know, all of the stuff that a season brings, and we were on a roll entering. And, uh, you know, we swept Boston. Then we went on and won four out of five against the Angels, another really good club. And then we won, you know, we swept Houston. Um, but the, you know, the celebration, I can remember my kids being in a celebration because, you know, Fenway is a small locker room. And my kids were real small at the time. So I had to put my daughter up on top of a Coke machine or a, 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 a 
not like a like a a case that held uh, liquid and, and drinks. Oh, like a cooler. Get her out of the way so she wouldn't get trampled. She was so little. Um, I remember my son pouring Gatorade over his own head. Because <laughs> we won, we won. He was so happy we won. Now, you know, that's another great thing because all the families were there, all the people that were close to the players. You know, mothers, fathers, wives, sons, daughters. You know, the White Sox were nice enough to fly all of the family everywhere we played, so they were a part of it as well. And uh, it's a memory that I, I, I won't forget, obviously, because I haven't forgot it yet. I can remember everything we're talking about pretty clearly. Um, and, and that you know, again, that started in Detroit. It, it, it went to Chicago. It, it, it went to Boston. It went to Anaheim. And then it went to Houston. And, and uh, But that moment with Del Duque, you know, listen, we weaseled out. And, you know, and, and he escaped a, a perilous situation. Um, I could see every uh, White Sox fan on the edge of their seat. Well, let me tell you something. Here's the story I tell. Every every player in the ballpark, every coach in the ballpark, every fan in the ballpark, everybody had the tight ass wondering what's going to happen here. And the only person that didn't have the tight ass was Al Duque. And he went out there and was able to perform under the toughest I mean, you can't make up another tougher situation. Makes it nobody out, uh, one run lead, you know, in the playoffs against the world champions. You know, you just can't make up a a, a, a story like that. You know, you couldn't script it any better. And uh, you know, the at bat that I remember too. Certainly remember Damon, but I also remember the Graffinino at bat. Sure, the Graffinino was battling him. You know, and fouling balls off, and. Graffinino was a hitter that was good on sliders in the zone late. You don't want to throw him a strike with the slider late if you don't have to. You'd rather him chase it. And he, he fouled some balls off. And I can remember thinking, you know, because El Duque could throw his slider slash cutter to both sides of the plate. So, and, and again, the way I remember this is A.J. and him had a meeting and he front-doored him and froze him, you know, and, and messed him up on a front-door breaking ball instead of a breaking ball away, which was uh, exactly part of the plan, you know, that we could do to him with that pitch. And uh, it was really tremendous heart, guts, uh, testable fortitude, uh, but focus, commitment. These, these are words that come to mind. One of the words that's also been brought up, as I've kind of asked guys about Orlando Hernandez, was is creative. I wonder if that strikes you any one way when you're talking about El Duque and whether his – particular type of creativity exists in the game right now, you know, as we see oh, relievers. Yeah, yeah. It, definitely, it definitely exists. No question about it. Mm -hmm. It exists. It's not, it's not so much that. He, he knew what he wanted to do, and people know do that, but when I think Al Duque, I think of this is the most fiery competitor that I've ever had. He was ready to fight every day. He, it was no nonsense. And there's more, so many more stories that are not that are coming to my mind that aren't from the the the, the, the inning we're talking about. Mm -hmm. it, it goes back to spring training. It, it, it goes to uh, during the season. It goes to a Starbucks line that I was on with him after we clinched the World Series in in the mall or the the, the, 
adjacent to the hotel that we stayed in, ready to come home to Chicago. Uh, many things flood my mind, you know, with stories about Duque. We're talking about the World Series here and that one. But overall, there, there wasn't a more visibly, internally more fired up, competitive guy. I've never had more than, than I mean, nobody, there's nobody higher. It's it's pretty clear to me, talking to you, talking to Kenny, talking to others around the organization, that the sentiment exists that you guys don't win it, or at least it's it's much more difficult to win it. Not just because of that one situation, but because of the things you just mentioned in, in 05 without Orlando Hernandez. I think the most difficult time looking back on it for us was the season. The hardest part was getting in. Once we got in, we kind of it was all good. You know, but it's the, the, the fight of 162 games, the ups and downs, the injuries, everything that goes involved in cause of 162 game season, a lot of things can happen. But you know, for you to come out on top and just in there, get into the playoffs. You know, the playoffs are like the lottery. You can't win it unless you get in it. Yeah. You know, so getting in it, it becomes a thing. I realized this afterwards. Wow, it's it's quite a quite an accomplishment, quite a feat to be the last team standing. There's 29 teams that go home unhappy, you know, and we didn't go on home unhappy. You know, I can remember people still come up to me today and say, thanks, my family, my father got to see it, or my grandmother got to see it before she passed. Hey, we went to the, we went to the cemetery and we put some souvenirs on the graves of people that were White Sox fans that didn't see it, you know? And you, you realize how, how deep it was, yeah. You know, what a, what an important you know feat it was being the last team standing. What I learned the next year, holy cow, it's really really hard to repeat because we won ninety three games, I think, or something like that. Didn't get in to the playoffs, you know. And uh, but it, it's it's quite a feat to be the last team standing. And I'm I'd like to think we got another one or two in our future. Last one for you, Coop. And I know you and I talked as Mark Burley was getting his number retired earlier this year, and you mentioned that. You know, each guy along the way that you've you've had, each pitcher has kind of taught you a little bit about pitching themselves, and you know you've taken those lessons and kind of applied them to how you then teach pitchers down the line. Anything specific come to mind? Lessons that you might have learned, or, or things that you picked up working with Orlando Hernandez that you now kind of apply to pitchers who may have the same kind of stuff, kind of fire, or kind of fight that you mentioned with El Duque. Yeah, that he would throw. Here's one thing: he would throw a slow curveball. And I'm telling you, it was slower than heck, and, and the lefties just took it, you know, all the time. They took it 95 percent of the time, but he could flip it in there. He had tremendous touch and feel. This guy was a very advanced guy. I sometimes wish that I would have had him a handful of years earlier mm. when he was throwing a lot harder. You know, he was older when I got him. Not terribly old, but older, and. uh he didn't have the same fastball, but he certainly had more smarts, guile, touch and feel, changing of speeds. Uh, he had tremendous pitchability. And you don't see many guys with that, you know, and, and combined with all the experience and all of the success in, in, in playoff history with the Yankees. You know, I told him this on the, on, the, on the line of Starbucks. We won the world championship, and he had won some in New York. And everybody in New York knows who El Duque is and remembers him and appreciates what he did for the Yankees and helping them win. And I said, I told him, I said, well, now everybody's going to remember you in Chicago. Chicago. And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? I said, well, hey, they got 
26 of them. Well, at that time, 26, 27. I said, we only got two in Chicago. And then after the parade, he sought me out, and he said to me, now I know what you mean, meaning uh, how many people uh, appreciated uh, the White Sox at that time. Thanks so much to Don Cooper and to Kenny Williams both for being part of our first oral history series here on White Sox Weekly. A blast to talk to them both. And, of course, you can pick up both interviews on the podcast, WLSAM.com slash White Sox. Before we let you go, you can join Chicago White Sox Charities, the holiday garage sale on Saturday, December 2nd at Guaranteed Rate Field. They call them a piece of White Sox history, including game-used equipment, jerseys, hats, and much more. Entrance to the garage sale is free. For more information, visit WhiteSoxCharities.org. We'll be back next Sunday at noon, and we'll pick it right back up at shortstop with our positional review and preview series for last year and next. I'm Connor McKnight. Thanks so much for listening. This is WLS AM 890.